Attention, listener, I have an assignment for you. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to engage with the real nerds, a.k.a. the best podcast on the internet. You can listen to their episodes on their website, realnerdspodcast.com, and you can also listen to them on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and iTunes. Follow their social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This message will self-destruct never. This is Real Nerds Podcast, and for over 10 years, we have seen a new movie and podcasted our experience to the world. This week, we saw Song Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned till the end of the episode where we will recommend this film or not, play the trailer, and then spoil it. What's great about Marvel movies is there are spoilers. The whole so, thing is a spoiler. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. Uh, we also talk about movies that you can get on Blu-ray, movies, news, real stuff, the R-E-E-L kind. You know what I'm saying, guys? Hashtag all the real stuff. <laughs> yeah. Something, s- something, something, something clever. <laughs> and we also talk about stuff we have been watching that we think you might enjoy us talking about. Mm-hmm. How's everybody doing? Doing good. Should we tell everybody who we are? Because it's, it's like uh, every kid's comic book might be their first comic book. This might be some of these first real nerds. Nope. No one cares about you. Uh, but I really care about Brad and his amazing, sexy voice. This is Brad's voice. And we also have are represented by um, women on this podcast, too. Zach? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my, you. Nice aversion like there, 1995 Ryan. joke there. Ooh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that hasn't aged at all, right? <laughs> right? Uh, no, we also have, we have two filmmakers on our podcast. We have Brad and Zach. And then, mm-hmm. Corinne, you're part of the filmmaking crew now, too. I am. I got to have my first official credit on the screen this week. It was pretty cool. Badass is what it was. You know what my favorite credit is executive dickhead <laughs> ryan <Fry. laughs> uh if you watch our pod show um this is how immature brad and i are um i told brad that i says i'm the executive producer and better show up on there and he's like you're the executive dickhead so mm-hmm. on every episode i'm executive some inappropriate word we we did manage to carry that joke into the raveheart trailer too <laughs> Yep. Because, <laughs> like, wait, Brad, was it you who did the voiceover for the Raveheart trailer? I can't remember. Pretty sure it was me. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it was Henry. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, that's right. It is Henry. He goes, like, from executive dickhead Ryan Frost. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's how immature Brad and I are. We will uh-huh. still have potty jokes. Right, Brad? <laughs> We're almost 40. I am 40. You are 40. Happy birthday. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan, remember what I told you when I texted you about rewatching Duck Soup. If if there's horse, if there's horse sexual content in Duck Soup, that means executive dickhead is not. It's not f- immaturity. 
its classiness that has yet to take its true form. <laughs> I'm really disappointed that I wasn't the first one to come up with sleeping with horses as a joke. So, well, well, can you take solace in the fact that it's Harpo Marx doing it without words? A little, and then a you, little. and then you brought words to it. You understand? <laughs> true. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All he had was a horn that honked. <laughs> hey, Brad, can we do something different for around town? Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. Brad. What do you mean? I want you to tell us about your film that you made. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it screened last week. And, How'd that go? Uh, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, really competitive block, so I'm a little nervous about our chances of making it to the best of, but uh will you tell yeah, me we had what... some really stiff competition yeah there was like a buddy film about a guy and a, 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 a guy who wears a horse mask that was really funny <laughs> um <laughs> that was great it was wonderful there was a there was a uh like a children who do or there was a dojo film and then the, the kids quoted ninja turtles which i was conflicted about so obviously they got my vote <laughs> yeah that, that's a solid looking flick right there wait brad you don't vote for yourself you get three you get three votes and i, oh, okay. I obviously I oh you get three i only voted once i only voted once too holy crap we get what? three no that, that's good that's you didn't give votes to the other the teams but we did come in fifth in audience choice so you know still didn't help out of how many films 10 hey you're half as good pack. as every other one <laughs> no right like, in the middle I, if I'd known that, I would have voted for the Jojo Dad one too because I like that one a lot. But... Well, that was the favorite of the room, so yeah, I guess they I guess they didn't need my help. No, they, the they one they blew everyone was... away by like twenty votes. <laughs> oh, really? I thought the one about the like guy in the women's focus group was the winner. That was second place. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was leading whenever I voted. That that one did make me laugh my ass off. <laughs> We were like that. one point out of fourth and three points out of third. So, mm. Dang. so but, Brad, what was your film about? Uh, yeah, Justice Team is about three dysfunctional superheroes who have caused billions of dollars in damage while saving the city. <laughs> and the mayor calls upon them to uh, uh, atone for that mess, I guess. Uh, they have to come up with ways to recoup the money. Nice. It's, a, it's a bit of a brainstorming session that doesn't go well. It's it's the MCU movie I do want to see the most out of any MCU movie is is assessing the the monetary damage. <laughs> yeah, what if superheroes were financially liable for all their crap that they did? I mean, I guess the closest like convergence on that idea we've had is Civil War, where William Hurt's just gone like the Avengers need to be modulated to shit, <laughs> and it's very much someone- the. Uh, it's very much the Kevin Smith superhero movie because uh, cinematically it's uh, four people in a room talking. So it looks really nice, though. The lighting's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, Brad can talk about it, but it seemed like it was kind of a send up to Batman, the TV series or mm-hmm. the original I, with the uh, old people. Yeah, I tried <laughs> to throw a technicolor wash on it. You do also have a you also have a little bit of uh, Superman uh, the Superman the television show going on in there with the little advertisement in the middle, which is, which I thought was really classy. I like that a lot. Yeah, there's a little retro commercial for uh, whiskey in there. So, 
now that now that now that it's played i do want to talk about it ryan lying drunk on the ground (laughs) it's my favorite shot to look at in the assembly footage no wait what was wild card wild card's taking a well-deserved nap good for you wild card (laughs) and it it goes by too fast but when you're listing the side effects of the whiskey i've i had read the script prior so i read through all the the side effects and i was giggling while you were asleep so i think one of them's like fire anus or something Uh, my the one that i laughed at was loss of friends (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah. I have to pull that list up now. It's too good to just leave there. It's dark but real. <laughs> I'm gonna slow it down a bit in the uh, director's cut because they do they 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 go by pretty fast and they're a little difficult to read. Some get lost. So, mm. um, but yeah, that's a lot of fun. So, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, in October, I guess. Yeah, and I, good job, Brad. Yeah, and thank. Thank you all for participating and helping with it. Um, You're welcome. We almost didn't Ryan. make it. <laughs> I had fun. Ryan texted you encouraging text going, I believe in you. You can do it. Go no, for my it. My encouraging buddy. text for Brad is like, hey, I saw this better the last time you did it. Try harder. <laughs> live, live up to your potential, LOL. <laughs> you guys are out making a movie instead of helping me celebrate my birthday. You guys are dicks. I know. I know. Fucking assholes. I'm the most important thing in the world. Guess not. I was texting Ryan before realizing it was his birthday. And then I sent a text late at night going like, oh, my God, there's still time. Yeah, we, we, we parted at the Ar- Ar- Arvada Tavern without you. So there's right, some partying cool. going on. <laughs> no, we know how much you love uh, cocktails. It's all right. As long as you guys have fun. It's all that matters. No one really celebrates my birthday. My wife actually did something for me this time, so I was a little surprised. But, you know, I'm a middle child. No one cares. Oh. Now, I'm now, pretty everybody... sure the middle child is the favorite one in my family. Everybody no. gather what, are, around Are you the, the oldest, Corinne? I am. Of course I am. No, you're not. <laughs> that's not true. The oldest is always the favorite. I'm definitely not the favorite of yeah. my mom's kids. For that. Ryan, I Ryan, I have not borne a grandchild for my parents, so I am not the favorite. So. True. <laughs> you gotta you gotta get that uh get that going. One of these days. In the meantime, it's much more fun talking with you three knuckleheads. So side note, I did pull up the list of side effects. The side effects may include fire breath, fire hands, fire anus, loss of sight, loss of hair, loss of job, loss of friends, loss of anus. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about loss of anus. (laughs) There's also a line in it, Brad, uh, when he goes, uh, when an idiot flush his career down the toilet, but the way, but see, I didn't watch the footage of that particular portion. So when he did the, with an idiot flush and pull out the card. (laughs) I I lost it. I loved it. We yeah, did a lot of different takes buddy. of that one. Yeah. And by we, I mean they did. <laughs> I mainly went by the list that Eileen had put together because I wanted to get it done as quick as possible for you guys because I wasn't sure how long an assembly like that would take. But it's good training for next year in the event that in, in the event I need to be in that place again for the team. So. Well, I want to do another one in November, so maybe even sooner. So yeah, I know we uh, we need to talk about that afterward. So if I'm here, I'll help. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, that's my forty forty eight hour weekend. Nice. Mm -hmm. What else is happening around town, my friend? 
Uh, I'm looking for gear that I lost. Uh, I got a couple <laughs> light um, gels that have just gone missing. Like I, I, I have no idea how that's possible. And then uh, hey, the, next the time you guys come plate. over to my house, you should see my new lighting. It looks awesome. Really? <laughs> Does it come in various different colors, Ryan? <laughs> yeah. What I did is I put these. Uh, I don't know if you. Uh, they're like this uh, clear color stuff, kind of like mm. a film. Yeah. And if you put them on lights, they change the color. I just randomly mm. found them in Denver, and now they're in my house. That is such a lucky find. No way. <laughs> and then, oh, man, this other day, because you know I'm a real nerd, uh, I was on the light rail, and I saw this dude running, and I was like, run, Forrest, run! <laughs> <laughs> what a sucker. Man, no one said that since 1994. Ryan, right. Way to dig deep into pop culture minutia with an Academy Award winning film. Hey, that's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> How uh, does yeah, it we're... get deeper? Quiz show? <laughs> you know what you should do is go to the 88 drive-in where you can watch Candyman, Old, and Don't Breathe 2. Oh, nice. That's a Ooh. cool lineup. And Triple Bill Horror. Eventually, uh, the Holiday Twin will have a new lineup posted, which they don't right now. Some Teton film called Stoke the Fire. Looks like it's like a Warren Miller action sports thing going on all Mm. week. So, yeah, that's what's going on around town. Oh, and 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 the Shea Artiste is reopening September 10th. So, oh, shit. Nice. Yeah, finally. Actually, I was um, at Yankee Candle at the Aspen Grove. And the Alamo there has a sign out saying, we're going to be back soon. Nice. Yep. About damn time. Yep. Gotta go on I the think uh, Shang-Chi kind of changed a lot of things. In fact, we should talk about that in Real News. It's Real News. What did you have for real news, Ryan? Because I don't think it's the same stuff that I got pulled up. Um, Venom has moved up two weeks mm, because wanna... uh, Shang-Chi did so well. And they go, huh, you mean if we put out movies people want to see only in theaters, people will go see them in theaters? Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and also, thank God, because in that way, it gives a clear room for the true champion of October, Halloween Kills. Uh, back yep. up. Didn't they move back two weeks? Like, two weeks ago well they moved from september to october October 15th and then they go and then there's talk that it would be delayed because uh, top gun and uh, mission impossible got delayed and then they go oh wait shang chi made tons of money and people want to see it hmm so then they moved it forward again so now it's october one that venom let there be carnage comes out i can't wait Dude, the trailer is so freaking uh, lit. <laughs> is it is it the real shit, yo? Do I sound like someone whose Venom is their favorite character? You know, no, that uh, Ryan we... Venom is like so off the chain. He's he's evil Spider Man, but he's really not evil. You see, guys, he's what we call an antihero. <laughs> I remember back in 2006 when uh, they were talking about making Spider-Man 3 and you were like, oh man, they're going to put Sandman and Rhino in it. Why can't they have Venom? And then they did put Venom in it and you were really happy. You're, you know what? You're right, Brad. Thank you for reminding me about how awesome it was that I saw Venom on the big screen. 
even better is that they uh you know they changed the story um it was the origin story a bit you know to fit that universe so yeah it's great be excited i mean i would have much rather seen a john jameson come back with it uh, you know but we didn't see that it just crash landed into earth Anyways, this this is all to say, watch Halloween Kills on October 15th and make it the number one movie of October. Thank you and good. Um, sure I think that's going to be Dune. Uh, I, uh, I think Dune's a hard sell. Halloween Kills is not hard to sell. Halloween Kills is not hard to sell. You see, Corinne, we met him 15 years ago. We were told there was nothing left. No conscience, no reason, not even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, good or evil, right or wrong. I'm just saying, Dune has a giant ensemble cast, like with Jason Mm -hmm. Momoa and Oscar Isaac and Timothy Chalamet. Like everybody who's a fan of any of those people is going to go see it. Plus, anybody who's a fan of Dune is going to go see it. Plus, people who are just generally curious, like me, are going to go see it. So, you Mm -hmm. can. There's a lot of people. I think they're they're going to have a pretty good draw. Yeah, they've also got mm-hmm. a huge budget to carry in order to get part two greenlit, which I'm very confident they will because Denny Villanueva is really, really talented as a director that I will trust him on any journey. Uh, yeah, Halloween and it's Kills gotten, is going to make its money back no matter what. <laughs> it's gotten really, really good reviews coming out of Venice or whatever the film festival uh, was. Is it this really, weekend. really good reviews or is it look spectacular and the, <laughs> the story's muddled? That's what I read. I read that it was like the best film in a generation. They were comparing it to the Lord of the Rings. Who wrote that? Someone on Twitter? It was a bunch of people on Twitter. That doesn't sound like a critic review. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it screened at a film festival somewhere. So it did. It did. I think I it was it people. It wasn't just like t- random Twitter people. It was like actual like cr- film critics or somebody. Anywho. Should I move on to other news, guys? No. Sure. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Corinne. Uh, you know what? Just for that, I'm going to start off with a horror story. Hey, Ryan, you like Guillermo del Toro, right? I do. Do, do you like when Guillermo del Toro gets to basically have carte blanche to create anything he would like to create? Yes. All right. Get ready for Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities, a new horror anthology coming through through the courtesy of Netflix. Uh, this will feature... The talents of such directors as Del Toro himself, Jennifer Kent, Panos Cosmatos, Aaron Stewart on Anya, Lily Amarimpour, and many more. Uh, and there's a bunch of people attached to this, such as F. Murray Abraham, Luke Roberts, Tim Blake Nelson, Crispin Glover, Ben Barnes, Peter Weller, Mika Watkins, David Hewlett, and many more. So look out for Cabinet of Curiosities from Guillermo Del Toro coming very soon. I have still never seen. Um, wait, am I thinking of the? I'm, I think I'm thinking of the wrong director. I think is Anya Anna Lily Amarapur, uh the director of A Girl Walks Alone at Night. Uh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I thought you'd seen that for some reason. Anyway, I guess I'll have to dig deeper into this. Meanwhile, let's move on. Um, in additional horror news, uh, Bella Lugosi the uh, noted star of Dracula and Planet Nine from Outer Space, The Black Cat, all those wonderful films that you all remember that your grandfather told you about, uh, is getting a comic book based off of the life, uh, off of his life story called Lugosi, The Rise and Fall of Hollywood's Dracula. And there's some really cool artwork uh, attached to it from Karen Shadmi. Um, It looks pretty interesting. 
I like the idea of them creating a comic book out of Bella Lugosi's life. Gives some context to people who might want to read it in a black and white art scheme. Um, I'll send you these pictures, Ryan. They look pretty cool. Kind of simple, but it's a uh, it's got a, it's got a nice uh, look to it that I kind of dig. So, um, the other piece of news is uh, Francis Ford Coppola uh, wants to make a movie again. He's been wanting to make a movie for a long time now called Megalopolis. It's a script that he penned back in the 80s, uh, but Coppola didn't think it was ready to make it until 2001. And the Megalopolis script deal um, was uh, canned after September 11th. Uh, And he assumed that no one would want to watch a movie about the rebuilding of New York after a disaster in the wake of 9-11. But now he wants to make the movie and he wants to throw $100 million of his own money into the movie. Uh, So good for him i it's uh, i guess it's the other route that martin scorsese himself could have probably taken but i guess francis Ford coppola has access to more money because of different business ventures he's been involved in over the years um i don't know i'm curious to see if this turns into another apocalypse now situation where everything kind of spirals out of control or if it just ends up becoming a pretty interesting final product from uh coppola because he's pretty i mean he's getting up in years it's not like he's got much longer to be around but i don't know ryan you're not a big coppola guy so how do you feel about wanting to see something like that i don't mind uh francis ford coppola i mean hey if you have the money and you want to follow your passion project i say do it there's a couple of names mentioned here for potential stars oscar isaac forrest whitaker kate blanchett joan voight zendaya michelle pfeiffer and jessica lang uh, he's looking. Uh, he's looking to work with all of them, uh, and he's also looking to reunite with James Caan from The Godfather. Uh, so yeah, um, this will be interesting. Let's see if he gets to uh, make that movie. I'm curious about it myself. And uh, the last real big piece of news that I have just came off the wire today. Um, we lost Michael K. Williams today, uh, who was Omar on The Wire and Chalky White on Boardwalk Empire. Uh, the uh, no, the noted television actor who was last seen in Lovecraft County was found dead in his Brooklyn apartment uh, at the age of 54. It is suspected that it was a drug overdose, uh, but there are a couple of theories floating floating around. Um, the as of now, as a press time, the cause of death is not immediate has not been immediately revealed uh, as the city medical examiner is still uh, studying the situation. But um, <clears throat> uh, it is said that. It's sorry, this it, this is actually like really like depressing to read today. But uh, his rep, uh, Mariana Shafrin, said is with deep sorrow that the family announces the passing of Emmy nominated actor Michael Kenneth Williams. They ask for your privacy while grieving this unsurmountable loss. Um, he was also in other shows like The Sopranos, Law and Order. Um, and you know, like, I mean, I don't know, did any am I the only one here who watched either The Wire or Boardwalk Empire? Yep. I guess so. Wow, that sucks. You guys should watch good television. Anyway, yeah, tell me what to um, do. <laughs> I tried to uh, watch The Wire, and I'm like, man, this show's boring. I think you'd like Boardwalk Empire. I think you'd get a kick out of it, Ryan. It's four seasons. It's our uh, f- five seasons long, and uh, it takes place in Atlantic City in the 20s. Lots of fun. Um, but yeah, um, uh, there's been a lot of outpouring of love for Omar. Um, I I loved boardwalk empire in college and his performance is chalky white who is an african-american gangster in the midst of all the prohibition madness going on in the in the in the 20s 
there is something about what he is doing in that role that is just you can't take your eyes off of him anytime he is on the screen. He is commanding an entire room that consists of people like Steve Buscemi, Michael Stolbarg, Shea Wiggum, and Michael Shannon. Like anytime you have him placed firmly in the middle of that setting, he is dominating. He is kicking everybody's ass metaphorically from the acting game. And in season four, he gets like this huge bigger arc to deal with because he's kind of treated as a side character for the first three seasons. And then in season four, he actually gets an expansion. It's like really cool. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's, it's a terrible shame. Um, I really hope it isn't from uh, a drug overdose, but if it is, I, I guess it's, it's no different than anytime this happens is just to reach out to people and hope people get help when it comes to that stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, um, other than that, that's news. I have a quick follow-up on the Dune thing. Mm-hmm. This is from the Hollywood... Can't talk. The Hollywood Reporter. Dune received an eight-minute standing ovation at the Venice Film Festival, including praise from Best Picture winner Chloe Zhao, who rushed through the aisles to meet director Denis Villeneuve, shouting, Fantastic! And it already has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Or, sorry, 86% out of 35 reviews. Hmm. That's pretty good. But since right when on. do Italians know anything about film? Yeah. Unless there's like spaghetti in it. <laughs> and that's it, news. They must have loved Luca then. You know, Ryan, we're not getting invited to the Venice International Film Festival now. You realize that, right? No, oh, man. But I love gelato. But Ryan, you're not going to get a golden lion now. <laughs> Fuck. Movies come out on Blu-ray. Sometimes we'll get them. This is what's coming out. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Ryan, uh, you 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 posted something to me earlier about uh, we're we are getting another Tex Avery collection, right? Well, yeah. in the meantime, how would you like Woody Woodpecker the Screwball Collection? It's coming to my house. <laughs> there you go. Cartoons spanning from 1941 to 1972, featuring Woody Woodpecker. Uh, the Walter Lance creation voiced by Mel Blanc. Uh, you can pick that up on Blu-ray if you so wish. Uh, you can also pick up this. Is this the release date for Zack Snyder's Justice League? Or is yes. it just a re-release? Wow. Okay. Well, you can pick up the Snyder Cut uh, if you so choose to engage in the four hour. Uh, you can get a steelbook or a traditional release or nope. you can get a Blu-ray version. What? <laughs> uh, the steelbook for, for Best Buy Steelbook has mysteriously vanished from the site. So it's still here on blu-ray.com. It is not on the website. Gotcha. Well, okay. Trust me. I've been trying to acquire it. Oh, well, I hope that the steel books for vertigo and rear window, which are getting their own solo 4k releases aren't uh, disappearing from that website. Now, the vertigo one is badass. Mm-hmm. I like the rear window one. Cause it's pretty much the theatrical poster. And it has a clear shot of Grace Kelly, who is the secret hero of Rear Window. Fun fact, she's the actual hero of that movie, guys. Um, and also, Ryan. Yes? I think we're just going to have to sit outside with a bottle of scotch and wait it out while we watch The Thing in 4K. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is from Universal Studios. This is not coming from Scream Factory, which kind of sucks. Um, but the Steelbook is really cool. It's pretty dang horrifying. <laughs> I like it. I am going to probably pick it up, even though I still I already have the Scream Factory Collector's Edition, which is the best way to actually buy that piece. Um, 
and let's see what else we've got here coming here. Theater of Blood from 1973 uh, coming to you through the courtesy of Kino Lorber. Um, the, it's got a guy holding out a skull and that skull's got two daggers in its eye holes. So I actually have um, a version of that when Twilight Time went out of business. They had a huge sale. So I got the Twilight Time version of that. I wish I had jumped on that sale when it happened because I probably would have been able to get Moby Dick on Blu-ray and I'll never be able to get it now which sucks uh, that and Jane Eyre. Um, but cool. Well, now I can at least get theater of blood courtesy of Kino Lorber. Uh, if that ends up being, that, since that's the case. Um, Wait, I, you know I heard I, Jane Eyre. Somebody summoned me. What happened? Well, it's the version of Jane Eyre with Orson Welles, which makes mm. it the, clearly the best version of Jane Eyre. Oh, psh, no, no, yes. not the best. It's a good no, one, but not the best. No, no, you don't understand it. It has a, it has a gentleman in there who made a film that was up to a certain point, one of the highest rated review movies of all time. So clearly it's the best. <laughs> um, no, nah, I'm just kidding. Any version you like is the best version guys. Uh, Hey Ryan, here's a Frank yes. Capra movie coming out for you. You ready for uh-huh. this state of the union from 1948 coming to you through the courtesy of universal studios, Blu-ray. I have never seen this movie. It has uh, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, Angela Lansbury, Van Johnson, and Adolf Manjou. Uh, Kay Thordyke loves Grant Matthews and helps him become Republican nominee for president. The party machine begins to worry as Grant begins to speak for himself. At an important dinner with his wife, Mary condemns corrupt politicians, and Grant learns to speak out even more boldly. Interesting. And at 95 minutes, how are they going to handle that? I don't know. We'll have to stay tuned for State of the Union. Um, and I think this is uh, one of the big releases, although uh, it comes with the caveat that I wish there were two more movies in this collection is you can get Star Trek, the original four movie collection um, on 4K. Uh, this consists of Star Trek, the motion picture, Star Trek II: the Wrath of Khan, Star Trek three, the search for Spock. And Star Trek for the Voyage Home. So you do not get any Final Frontier or Undiscovered Country, which uh, Brad and I have talked about it on this show before. We're not particularly thrilled that we're not getting a 4K version of Undiscovered Country. But I'm going to still pick this up because I want to see what they did to clean up motion picture. Um, because I, I, it just feels like the version that we have is not super wonderful. <laughs> um, I don't know. Brad, are you going to pick it up anyway? Or... I'm really torn because I don't have money, but also, you know, when people didn't pick up the last round of Star Trek stuff, they canceled the DS9 um, restoration. So, mm. you know, I, I really want six to come out. So I guess I'll have to play their game. Yeah. Yep. Give them money to convince them they should do it. Gotcha. Well, I'll be picking it up if it helps the cause. Um, also, coming to you. Through the courtesy of Universal Studios re-releases is a series of Deanna Durbin movies. Why is this important? Well, Deanna Durbin was one of the many figures that had to save Universal from financial ruin during the 30s, 40s, and or 50s before MCA finally bought out that entire company. That you can get Can't Help Singing from 1944, For the Love of Mary from 1948, Because of Him from 1946, and Something in the Wind from 1947. Uh, so yeah, pick up some Deanna Durbin in your life. Uh, have some fun with that. And that is Blu-rays. Cool. We watch shit throughout the week. In a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, what'd you watch this week? 
Well, uh, not too much. I guess we'll get to what if later. Um, but I, I've been rewatching 30 Rock because it's back on Netflix. So I won't talk about it too much just because I've said enough on here before. Great show. Everybody check it out. And then I also finished watching The Daily Life of the Immortal King, um, which was the series I talked about last episode. It's a, I forget the term for it, but it's basically like the Chinese version of anime. Uh, very well done. It's a quick, uh, like 13 episode series. And it's about a teenager who has superpowers, basically. And he's trying to keep them under wraps from all of his uh, schoolmates. So it's pretty fun. And then I binge watched a similar series, kind of in the same style. Um, and it's called Heaven Officials Blessing. And it's about this, um, he, I don't think demigod is the right word, but it's like the Western equivalent of a demigod. Like he's in heaven. He's in like the heavenly court. He's like a court official or something. But he's kind of looked down on as like the black sheep of the court. So he's sent to earth to go do some shit. Like, hey, you need to fulfill these people's prayers. And so he shows up and he encounters this um, ghost king who's kind of like his boyfriend. It's just really weird. Um, but it was kind of fun. Just, I don't know. It kind of got sucked into like the story and the characters and the world. It's very immersive and everything kind of comes back in on itself there at the end. But it's also like really complex and like strung out. And I'm, by the end, I think we spent three episodes at the end of the series where everybody's just like in this pit talking to each other of like, you killed all these people. I hate you. Here's what happened 30 years ago. And it's just kind of goes on and on for a while, but it was kind of a fun show to binge watch, I guess. So is this a live action show? No, 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 no. It's a, it's like Chinese anime. I forget. There's a term for it, but I forget what it is. China (laughs) may. No, I think it starts with a G. I'll have to look it up, but um, Heaven Officials Blessing. The animation for it is just beautiful. Um, and I mean, I don't know about the voice acting. I think they do a good enough job because they're all speaking in Chinese uh, or Mandarin, I should say. And but, you know, they have English subtitles. I so think it's that's called pretty Dun- fun. I think it's called Donghua. Donghua. Yeah, Donghua. Yeah, that sounds Donghua. right. Yeah. So Heaven Officials Blessing, it's on Netflix if anyone's interested. And uh, I'll, Brad, you can jump in here, but I watched the latest episode of Ted Lasso. And it's, uh, oh boy, they are just kind of double downing on a lot of things and certain characters making not so great choices. So if anybody cares, spoilers for season two of Ted Lasso. So if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead like five minutes, okay? Three, two, one. Okay. Nate. Wait, 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 wait. Corinne, how can I skip forward on my own podcast? That well, I don't know. Just take your headphones off or something. <laughs> We're just Why do you have to spoil out. stuff? Why do you have to spoil stuff? I at least gave people a warning. Yeah, you don't have to spoil stuff. Because <laughs> we need to talk about it in depth, okay? Brad, jump in here. No, this- Brad, don't. Brad, don't you don't you do it, Brad. Don't you put that on me, Bricky Bobby. Don't you put that evil on me. 
my gosh. Why do you have to quote Talladega Night? You know that's my weakness. <laughs> no. Um, uh, Brad, I, I was binge watching most of season two yesterday with a friend who hadn't caught up yet. And so just going back and watching older episodes and seeing the progression of Nate's like assholery is just like so like they were building to that the whole time. It does not come out of left field like we might have thought. It's it's just so frustrating because you're like, Nate, you sweet cinnamon roll, what have you done? Ah! And also that moment where uh, Sam and Rebecca bumped into each other, I about had a heart attack. <laughs> like, I cannot see those two together at all. It's just not like in that way. You know, they're they're very nice work colleagues, but I don't want them together. Oh, it's so weird. I don't know. It seems like they have a connection through text. Well, yeah, but I think once they know who each other is, it's going to be awkward. Because she's like, what, 20, 30 years older than him. And she owns the team he plays for. And her goddaughter has a crush on him. It's just very strange. He's I mean, he was play forever. You know, he's probably got like five, six years in him with the team. Oh. <laughs> you think she's going to wait around for five or six years? I don't know. They, they could, Unless he transferred to another team, even then that would still be weird. Like, oh yeah, I'm dating the owner of like one of our rival teams. So weird. Ugh. Don't like it. I honestly expected them to get more into the therapy sessions between Ted and Dr. Fieldstone. I felt like, yeah, I guess it made sense. Like yeah, he's not immediately comfortable with therapy. Like that part was realistic for me, but I wanted more of like, okay, let's actually like go into like what caused the panic attack and why is he, what is at the root of the problem there? Because, like, I have my theories, but I want to hear the show, you know, tell me if I'm right or wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're drawing it out because it's only half an hour and uh, they got so many other storylines to cram in there. So, yeah, I, I understand I'm not tackling that right away for, for a guy who's been tepid about even going. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it was nice to see him kind of break down that barrier. Be like, oh, yeah it does make sense. And I thought there was a real missed opportunity that we never had any follow-up between Ted and Rebecca that, yeah, she left him that voicemail saying like, Oh, I'm really worried for you. Hope you're okay. I just need your, you know, help with all this stuff. And we never had any kind of like, Oh, you know, where they see each other at work and, you know, she actually gets to like interact with them because all they had was that, that (laughs) big like conference in the, boot room where everybody's smoking and stuff and they're bad math and Roy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty fun. I imagine it happened off screen and like, I don't know. Seeing that scene like doesn't really do anything. address it at all. I don't think they needed to because everything that's going to actually help him is going to come from that therapy session. So, you know, it's, it's just like, you know, it, you have to be economical with your time and it, it's, you know, she's not going to, She's not going to help him. You know, it's nothing she's going to say is going to get him over that situation. So it's, it's going to be, the, it's going to be the therapy scene. So I I could just imagine that that did happen between episodes, you know? Right. I don't know. what do you think of it? That's, it's good. Uh, like I, I was really frustrated with Nate. Like I was not tracking his descent into Becoming a big jerk, but uh, let's see. Interesting to see where this goes. I hope it's not permanent. 
and I can totally see them ending the season in a similar way to the, the previous season where instead of Jamie, it's Nate who's kind of screwed over the team with their selfishness. So, Yeah, but even then, like, Jamie had, like, that moment with Ted where Ted gave him the little army man and it felt like a little bit of a reconciliation. Like, at least between those two characters, like, you know, Jamie could tell, like, Ted, Ted didn't hold it against him. So, I think Nate's going to have to have some kind of somebody's going to have to call him out. I think it's going to end up being Ted. It's going to be one of those things where they use it to draw out uh, interest in the the next season. You know, they won't be Mm -hmm. resolved. They'll just be like, you know, I'm a, I'm a great football strategist and I deserve better. And uh, I'm going to go shop myself around and screw, screw all of you. And Ted will be like, you know, you are smart, Nate, but, that's pretty awful thing to do. And I'm sure it'll cliffhanger there and we'll see. Yeah. I could see him, you know, just going off to another team. Cause that's where he feels like, you know, it's a little crowded at the dog house or the dog track or whatever. So that he, you know, he wants to go somewhere where he's needed. And Ted understands that I could see Ted be, I think he would be more supportive than judgmental. I guess it just depends on how Nate approaches it. If it's more genuine or if it's more just like, uh, he's just lashing out and he's angry. Uh, it'll just be, I think it'll just be like, yeah, you know, Ted will be like, yeah, you're, you're good at strategizing plays, but you don't know how to deal with people. And then, you know, like I said, it'll be a mirror of the previous season where time will have passed and then Nate will be failing at wherever he went. And then, you know, He'll have an episode where he immediately wins over the team back and he's back on again. I don't know. I, I, it feels so much similar to Jamie's uh, fall and rise that that's that's what I'm imagining. Yeah, going back and rewatching like that episode, like after Jamie comes back and he does get into everybody's graces, I expected a lot more fallout from that. Like he just can't. He just comes back and he jives with the team a little too quickly. Considering yep. how much bad blood there was before. That's what I was saying like four episodes ago. I was like, man, that was fast. Yeah, I know. I, and I, <laughs> I guess I was just, I agreed with you, but I was like, I'm going to reserve judgment because we just don't know what is going to happen in the next episode. And then they just kind of dropped it. I also dropped the whole like Dubai air cerithium oil thing. Like I figured there was going to be more fallout from that. Like, oh no, like maybe Sam's visa gets pulled or maybe something happens to his family or you know, like there could be all these political consequences and then nothing really happened other than they probably have a new sponsor now based on their jerseys, but they don't even talk about that. <sighs> anyway, a few missed yeah. opportunities, but still a great show. Yeah. It seems like every setup for drama turns into not drama, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what else have you been watching, Brad? Ryan, is it okay if I go? See, Brad understands it's my show. Brad, please continue. Uh, yeah, not much else. Uh, I've, I've been digging into the the, the deepest parts of uh, Disney Plus, where I watched some uh, old old Disney stuff, um, starting with Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Um, oh man, I've seen that in forever. I always remember it being kind of creepy. You mean Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? No, the sequel, I Blew Up the Kid. Uh, where you know, it's it's they have a giant baby running around. Um, I thought the sequel was Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. 
Nope, that's the third one. Oh, I didn't didn't see the second one then. Yeah, it was in 1992. Uh, I haven't seen it since since the theater. Uh, all I remember is the giant baby walking through Las Vegas, and uh, it's interesting. It weaves between like the first special effects scene. I was like, man, this green screen does not hold up at all. And then immediately after that, there's a really fantastic sequence of you know the baby's not fully blown up yet, so it's 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 about as tall as it can be in the house, and the adults are like chasing it around. Um, and it's really well done and convincing. And then it like later in the movie, it goes back to being like, Oh, this is a bad green screen composite with the kid, like, uh, the kids. And then, um, I forgot, I guess Carrie Russell is the, like the older son's love interest in the movie. Uh, so she just pops up in there. Um, and yeah, uh, but- my favorite giant baby movie is I've never seen it. But at the Alamo, they have that, you know, please be quiet. And there's that giant baby. And he says, <laughs> you'd help me by getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> I gotta figure out what that is. I forgot too, but it makes me laugh every time I see it. Should try and track it down. Bobby, I want you to meet my colleague, Dr. Hamilton. And I'd like you to get the fuck out of here. It's all get out of here. So yeah, the, the Zelensky's for some reason he like even though he has the shrink ray thing, the world hasn't fawned over his ability to uh, do amazing science stuff. So he works for some corporations where his his science boss is a dick to him and trying to steal his tech. Um, in the process, of, like trying to make things huge, uh, you know, the the baby walks in front of the in front of the ray, and every time it encounters any kind of electrical discharge, like a TV set or power lines, it just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, eventually, the solution is they make the mom super huge and calms him down. And then they sh- he gets the shrink ray out of, you know, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark style storage and all's good. But now without wreaking a ton of havoc through Las Vegas. Uh, and then the, the last thing I watched was The Journey of Natty Gan, which I had never seen. And uh, it wasn't bad. It's very much it feels very episodic. Uh, Nettie Gann is like a 1935 street kid. Her dad is uh, on the unemployment line, just picking up odd jobs here and there. And he gets uh, an offer for a more permanent job logging out in Seattle. But he has to leave at a certain time. And because his kid is constantly just like out and about while he's at work, um, he isn't able to track her down before he has to go. So he tells the hotel that they stay at, you know, hey, when she comes back, tell her what happened. Um, but the hotel owner's a dick and treats her like shit. And so she decides to run away. And so it's a cross country hop in trains and hitchhiking automobiles. And um, she pick us, picks up a, a wolf along the way. So she's got, she's got a wolf sidekick. Uh, and yeah, there's just very episodic here and there, like, gets on the train, gets off, something happens. Uh, either the, the cops are trying to arrest people jumping off the train or she gets picked up by a creep uh, who, who's driving type stuff. Um, you know, one of the trains explodes, stuff like that. And eventually she makes her way to the Northeast. And uh, John Cusack is another vagrant 
she encounters off and on as she goes. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Very coming of age. That's all I watched. Zach. All righty. Um, so before I talk about any of the black and white horror films or fun films I've watched, do we want to talk some Loki? Can, can some people answer some questions for me? Please? Please? I mean, I watch it. On, I don't know if sure. I can answer stuff. Okay. 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 So I watched We will Loki. try. Okay, fine. Because I know you guys watched it before me and I heard all the spoilers, but I managed to tune them out of my brain. So uh, I watched Loki. I really liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, it was not what I was expecting. Uh, I liked the uh, out of sorts vibe I get inside of the um, the um, the TVA. T- the TVA, yeah. I'm sorry, I was trying to remember the acronym there. The TVA's offices where they've got theremins roaming around in that score, and it just feels all off kilter. Like, just feels like nothing should be running that efficient as a bureaucracy. Uh, Tara Strong is that time clock that talks <laughs> like Miss Minutes. Yes, Miss Minutes, uh, who, in my opinion, is the most dastardly villain of the MCU, hands down, because she she has an attitude by the end of this series um, or this season. But um, I, I, I thought it was interesting as they kicked it off, because I watched this all the way through today uh, after getting out of Shang-Chi. I was like, I need another Marvel thing. I'm going to watch something. So I watched Loki and I loved the way it started and I was, I guess I wasn't sure after episode one, what to expect because episode one, I kind of understood, okay, I'm at least going to get some form of emotional conclusion for Loki in what, in terms of how that first timeline exists. Um, But watching him watch the footage of his life go of, of what his life is supposed to be. I, I I was just floored by them giving that kind of breathing room to let Tom Hiddleston as an actor perform and have an actual crisis about like, what is his involvement in the world of the MCU? Like, what is his purpose there? Like, what is the, what is, what in the world does it matter if he's the ruler of anything? Um, and then it becomes this nice time cop show for an episode before they start going into the whole realm of Sylvie and uh, the other Lokis um, and everything starts to unfold. So I guess my big question is, does this mean that Kang the Conqueror is out in terms of a overall grand planned MCU villain for new Avengers? Or is it just one? Are we dealing with one of many? And I guess my second question is, does this breaking off of the multiverse uh, mean that this is pre- prerequisite watching before No Way Home. I'm confused because this show came out earlier and made it seem like Sylvie was the catalyst for the multiverse, but after watching the No Way Home trailer, it looks like Doctor Strange is the catalyst for the multiverse, so I, I'm confused myself. So, and even Wanda with the Darkhold a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, forgot about so, that. And I, and I they seen all Wa- shatter the multiverse at the same time. <laughs> okay, so I haven't seen WandaVision yet, but I'm just uh, that's fine. I guess it's not that big a spoiler if I'm already this far deep into MCU television. Uh, Loki so I, two months ago. Um, uh, you know what? <laughs> Shut up. Not everybody gets to Marvel stuff right away. Sometimes we have classy black and white movies to watch. You but anyway, <laughs> uh, my uh, 
my point being is that I, because uh, I watched the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer in, in the theater prior to Shang-Chi, and because he's because he's breaking up the timeline for Spidey, I'm assuming that's what the Conqueror is, or he who remains is looking at out the window as he's uh, asking Loki and Sylvie to make no, a decision. Uh, Doctor Strange isn't breaking up the multiverse for Spider-Man. He's casting a spell so people forget who spider-man is Mm -hmm. and uh the multiverse is all haywire because of what loki and sylvie did okay so so then um, then that does mean loki is prerequisite viewing that yeah because i I, the way i mean and even so dr uh, strange you see at the end of loki is just a version of kang okay so it's it's I'm interested how they're going to do this because Kang is a really convoluted villain. Um, I was looking he, into his background. It sounds like he's he's like a really beloved villain, but he's got like 500 he different versions of himself or something. Yeah. Like. You, so with him, you, you have to just read. I, I'd call him essential. I can send you some essential Kang stories if you want to read them. I'm curious um, now. Yeah. Look them up because there's so many and he's one of those characters where it's Oh, now this is a different version of Kang. So, <laughs> is one of them his sister Kodos? Hello. Not everyone works. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, what Sylvie did is still the catalyst for the multiverse. And my guess is Spider Man having his identity wiped is just a part of it, I, I, it's mm. a part of the story. And then he has to fix something. I mean, there's way more to the Spider Man movie, I'm guessing. It's like Doctor yeah. Strange is blaming Spider-Man for messing up his spell, but it was probably that multiverse unlocking that he doesn't know did it yet. Yeah, exactly. Something something along the lines of that. Okay. Then I guess that kind of clears up some small thoughts in my head. But uh, yeah, apart from that, I loved Owen Wilson as Mobius. Um, oh, yeah, Owen Wilson's awesome in that. <laughs> he is wonderful in it. Um, when he... when when. When they pruned him, I was like, oh, no, please don't tell me he's out for the rest of the series. <laughs> and then, no, he comes back into the uh, in the uh, pruning world and whatnot. Um, Richard E. Grant casting a uh, casting that uh, illusion spell that makes it look like the Wizard of Oz Palace before he fucking gets chomped up by that smoke. God is is awesome. Uh, I love the fact that they point out. I, I mean, I'm sure this is comic book canon where Loki was an alligator at one point. Otherwise, why even have it? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, but I just do love the question of why is... Uh, I, I, I somehow see as myself as a version of an alligator, which surprisingly isn't throwing me off. <laughs> um, and, um, and the guy who's playing um, He Who Remains, there's this wonderful shot... Um, which makes perfect sense since we haven't had time within the entire series up until this point where they're really sticking on that one, that one medium shot, then pulling, push, pulling into pushing into that close up of him. And then they pull it back as he's going through the realization that he has realized, Oh, this is the point where I can't predict any further. What's going to happen. Like I was like, that's one of those instances where I do go like, see, you can't, you, you can't tell me that Marvel properties can't be cinema because that's a cinematic, that's a cinematic move right there based on an actor and not based off of a special effect. 
Um, and it was like very masterfully done. Um, it shows that Kate Heron has like a, a unique way of presenting the story she wants to tell as a director. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do further with this story, because obviously we're getting that season two. Um, but like, I, I liked the vibe of it. I liked sitting in that world. It, it felt off and I liked, but I liked the score. I liked the theremin music. Um, I think it like, it's kind of, it's, I feel like it's the most ambitious thing they've ever tried to pull off. Um, and I, now granted, I haven't seen WandaVision yet. And I've heard that that goes into some trippy places too, but just the idea of trying to tackle multiverse and timelines from that particular angle. Like my brain was fried by the end of watching it before getting online to talk about uh, Shang-Chi with you guys. So uh, if anybody hasn't watched Loki yet, please watch it. It's fucking dope. Um, Now you need to watch WandaVision because especially because you love old timey black and white things, you'll love the first couple episodes of WandaVision. At least the first couple episodes. After that, I don't know. Okay. I'm I'm excited to watch WandaVision. I've just been taking my time. I've been separating them out. Like I watched Falcon and Winter Soldier about a month ago. Um, so I'll probably end up doing WandaVision sometime in October. Um, or just before October begins, because October is supposed to be a Halloween month, so it's a horror movie a day. Um, but we'll see. But yeah, I really liked it, guys. It, it was it's a lot of fun. I, I I'm glad that I'm finally getting on the Marvel TV bandwagon. Uh as far as what I watched this week in movie land, um, I rewatched Dracula and uh, the Spanish version of Dracula back to back for a Ballyhoo episode uh, that I recorded this Saturday. Um, uh, the first Dracula with Bela Lugosi is a classic. Um, it's it's uh, it's been discussed on this show several different times, but it's it's not necessarily the most wonderful looking or perfectly executed of the Universal monster movies, but it is like the it is the first. It's a stepping stone. Reading more into the history of it in deeper detail was much more fascinating a an adventure than I even think the sometimes the the making of Frankenstein is because there's a lot of talk about how things went wrong or how people absolutely did not believe this thing would work. Um, and then rewatching the Spanish version directed by George Melford uh, gave me a better appreciation for the not just the camera acumen that you were able to pull off in 1931 which proves which disproves the whole theory that you couldn't move the camera while sound was early in its years um but also it's like if you've never watched this version of dracula i think people should watch it to then fully understand that there really is no reason why actors of different nationalities origins and creeds couldn't be stars of movies without anything uh without any stereotype attached to them because there's evidence of it literally them they're making the better version of dracula in 1931 so it's like it's it's it is one of those things where you look at and you go like man like the studios didn't have any actual reason to actually bar people of different nationalities from like being the headline star of their own films um in a way that wasn't offensive so um, but yeah, look for that episode soon. Um, I rewatched The Hound of the Baskervilles and The Spider Woman at Film Club, uh, Sherlock Holmes Double Bill. Uh, Hound of the Baskervilles is great. Spider Woman is a fun, pulpy B movie that has some 
fun little innovative camera angles going on and some Hitchcock suspense by the end. Um, it was it, it it meant a lot to me to watch it with Film Club because the, those versions of Sherlock Holmes and Watson mean a lot to me because of my grandfather, uh, mainly through the radio. And so to get to watch those film versions with the film club was was a great treat. Um, and then uh, I started a new film series called the Dr. Christian series. Um, and I, I, I watched this on the recommendation of Attaboy Clarence and Ryan, I'd like for you to take a look at some of these films at some point, not because I know, I don't know if you'd love them. It's just that they're so homespun and so they are so predictable but God damn it, it is like comfort food. Uh, it's about a doctor who had a chance to go to the big city, but ended up staying in this small town community. And the first film is him fighting with the new mayor of the town as to whether or not they're going to build a hospital. And it's just that simple. Uh, and it's sweet. Um, you've got Gene Herschelt playing his signature role from the radio in the film. Uh, there's like five more of these things. Uh, it, 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 there's nothing innovative about it from like a cinematic standpoint. It's just good old comfort food kind of food film. So I'm going to keep going through these and letting people know what I think. It's kind of hard to dissect them because on a plot, they are very simple. Um, there is a quarantine theme in this first one for the mumps though, not for anything like a COVID. Um, and there's a lot of like teen, hijinks slash drama that recalls an Andy Hardy kind of vibe, but it's going for a different tone because it's based off of this radio show, which is in turn inspired by something called the country doctor that Gene Herschel was a part of prior. Um, uh, and then after that, I kicked back in the Torchy Blaine series, um, everybody's favorite uh, uh, investigative reporter and her sweetheart, uh, Steve, Steve, uh, in this uh, entry, uh, Steve and Torchy are finally about to get married, but oh no, oh no, there's another mystery to solve. Only this time, the mystery could be a ruse because a rival paper who is against Torchy's paper is tired of her getting all the inside scoops from her boyfriend, Steve, who works in the police department. And so they stage a murder, have somebody commit to faking their death so that the, she can report the story and then they can report that she misreported the story and make her look like a fool. But you ready for this, guys? The guy actually dies. Ooh. And so it is up to Torchy and Steve to at last figure out who actually committed this crime. All while wondering, are these two ever going to get fucking married? Um, it's not my favorite in the series thus far. There are I love the beginning of it. And then it becomes a little bit more convenient for the sake of convenience sake by the time you get to the end of the mystery. Uh, but I like the ending of it. Like, it's almost like it's at a certain point, the mystery meant nothing to me. And I was more focused on Torchy and Steve as characters. Um, and the idea, I liked the idea of what happens if your boyfriend or significant other works for the police department, but you're a journalist and so you're getting inside scoops from him, but then other papers get angry about it because you're getting the jump on them first. So I, it, I just thought that that's an interesting angle to go with this series if you're trying to up the ante from something before. Uh, are these so, yeah. serials, Zach, or are they just movies? 
they're movies, but they're like hour long movies. They're meant to be a series. So it's not like a serial where you have like chapters. It's just they are quickie movies that you could fit on a double bill. So you had the, those Sherlock Holmes movies that I keep wanting you to watch, Ryan. Uh-huh. The first two run in the range of about an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and 30. When they go over to Universal, they're making them super cheap and they're about an hour a piece. So it's meant that you could put out two in a given year. Kind of like how the MCU puts out two or three movies a year. You know, it's all part of a series, but it's not a serial. So you're not going back each week. You'll get that entry. And then a couple months later, you'll get the next one. So in a sense, it is kind of like the MCU. Um, uh, I wish there was a better way to fully explain that, but I hope what I'm saying is coming across. Cool. I don't, I don't know. It does it. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I get you. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, like it ultimately, they're not meant to be high quality pictures. They are literally meant there to just basically fit a double bill. But when you watch them all back to back, if you're keeping the same actors in consistency, you do get a lot of fun out of it. Like the Thin Man series is actually like elevated above a series because they don't do a bunch in a given year. But by, by a certain point, the Thin Man series ends up becoming about the same caliber or attention span as some of those series but you have william powell and myrna loy and skippy so you've got something that's elevated above the budget for any of those other ones and it's also mgm they're generally going to throw as much money into a project as they can to make it as good as possible um so yeah and uh one of the last things that i watched was i sat down and rewatched for the first time in a long time the big broadcast of 1937 with jack benny Burns and Allen, a very young Ray Milland, uh, and Martha Ray. Um, and the movie is about as memorable as I remembered it. Um, there's fun moments. Uh, the story's not that great. Uh, Jack is relegated to a broadcaster slash suave guy slash con man kind of per- mixture of all three. Um, he gets fun moments with George and Gracie. He gets interesting moments with Ray Milland in a pre-Oscar world for Milland. Um, And he does show a lot of the potential that he has as an actor in it. Um, I kind of want to, I'm going to be going back through it again and kind of taking notes, but I think it's very clear that that picture in particular, along with college holiday, which is within the same time frame of release are really trying to sell Jack as kind of like a relatable hero or some kind of like relatable comic lead, but he's not responsible for getting all the big laughs. And it just feels like the, the combination doesn't work. Um, and a lot of this is stuff that I'm trying to dissect for my own reasons and purposes, but there is something fun about the theme of that movie. Cause it is all about radio made around the time when radio was super popular. So watching them make fun of the radio business as it stood at that time, it's a, it's amazingly uh, honest with the caliber of the productions that were coming out at nauseum at that point. Whereas now when you watch a radio related movie, it's usually nostalgia based and you remember it fondly. And this is a film that's made within that time. So it's actively making fun of the product because film is competing with radio. So using radio as a theme for a movie ends up becoming a point of parody um, so I do find those big broadcast films interesting from that perspective, 
this is the one that does it the does it the most that I've seen. Um, so yeah, I would check it out if you can find a copy of it. Um, but it's not great. Um, it's far from Jack's best movie. If you're a fan of Jack and George and Gracie, then you'll dig it. If you want to see what Ray Milland looked like before he won an Oscar for the last weekend, this is where he kind of gets his early chops in. So, and that's all I watched this week. Cool. Um, I wasn't on last week's episode. I watched Candyman. Candyman is awesome. I love the uh, mood of the film. I think it's shot really well. Uh, It's a reboot and also kind of a sequel. Uh, It's very well done. You should go see Candyman. Um, I watched a movie called Seance, which is a film about um, a young girl who dies at a boarding school for women and people aren't sure if she is killed by a specter that has come back or like a you know one of those stories where basically like Candyman, um where this girl died at the school and is she is there an evil spirit in the school uh, haunting it um and it's pretty well done um it has a, a really badass ending with a a gruesome, gory <laughs> fight to the death. Um, so yeah, if you, it's kind of a slow burn at the beginning, and then it, as the story picks up, it gets pretty interesting. If you've seen a lot of horror films, especially with seances, you know, going all the way back to the Uninvited, uh, you probably know where this film is headed, but. It's uh, it's still pretty fun to watch, and it's super gory. So uh, that's always a treat <laughs> for me, because uh, uh, a lot of these uh, seance or ghost stories, a lot of them are PG thirteen, so they kind of hold back on the terror. Um, where sometimes I just want them to go balls deep in terror. Um, and the only other thing I watched is the sequel to Scorpion's Revenge, uh, Mortal Kombat Battle of the Realms came out this week and it picks up right where the last one left off where Shao Kahn now wants to have a tournament that ends all tournaments. So he and Raiden plead to the elder gods to have a final Mortal Kombat and the elder gods agree and so the stage is set for a Mortal Kombat in Outworld and all the fighters fight. It's really gory. Um, it doesn't have quite the same um, stakes as Scorpion's Revenge uh, because I, of all the characters in Mortal Kombat, Scorpion's story is really the most interesting and in his rivalry with Sub-Zero. Uh, well, the first one, Bihan. And um, this sequel seems like it's more of fan service, which I'm cool with. I mean, they have a lot of characters in it that I really like. And, um, you know, they kind of continue that anime style. And I mean, the deaths in it are really gruesome. And there's uh, there's a couple in it that are pretty shocking. And that's it's really cool that they... Uh, in the commentary and, and one of the special features. Um, so if you do get this film, make sure you watch the film before you see the special features. 
I don't know how many people watch special features first, but they do go into pretty big spoiler territories in the special features. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some shocking deaths and uh, they talk about how the game studio behind Mortal Kombat was all for uh, whatever they wanted to do is if it served the purpose of the story and they killed the main character, they're okay with it. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool that they allowed them to do it. Uh, and the voice cast is great. Joe McHell as Johnny Cage is great. Yeah. I was um, going to ask you, did they bring most of the voice cast back? Uh, it's all the same people. They, uh, I went and did some like digging around this film and they actually made them back to back. So they didn't announce them back to back, but they, they made them back to back. Uh, so yeah. Overall, so yeah, would the, you say it's better or worse than the first film? Uh, I, well, I mean, I wouldn't say worse. It's not as good. Um, just because, like I said, there's emotional weight to Scorpion's journey um, that you can't replicate. And this one's more about, uh, like I said, it, this one is hey, here's a quick setup for this fight scene. And then it's back to fatalities and stuff. Um, but like I said, there is some shocking things in it. Um, but yeah, I, I still think Scorpion's Revenge is a tad better. Um, just because, like I said, the story, I, I always think it's pretty uh, heart-wrenching, you know, Scorpion's family being killed and his uh, quest for vengeance for it. Um mm-hmm. Does Reagan get to do anything cool? Uh, yeah, he does. I would tell you what he does, but I don't want to spoil the film for you. Mm. Um, uh, it does get a little silly at the end, but whatever. It's, I mean, it, it's cool. (laughs) It it went in a way I didn't think it was going to go. So I think that's, that's okay. You know, sometimes as a filmmaker, uh, on such a well-known property, you got to take chances and, Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Side but, note, do we want to talk about what if at all? Uh, yeah, I could talk about what if. Brad, did you watch it? Um, I have been and also falling asleep during them, so I'm not really I'm not really into them <laughs> right now. No, I yeah. thought the last two were actually pretty good. Um mm-hmm. uh, the one previous was him uh being a serial killer. And, um, and this one was really, uh, kind of a, like, it was a it was great really dark. episode. It was, yeah, it was a great episode, but it was a downer because, um, uh, the premise is, is what if Dr. Strange didn't lose his hands, but he lost his heart and the heart is a metaphor for his, uh, Rachel McAdams character, Christine dying, um, and so when she dies, he uses uh, the time stone to try to change uh, that night. And every time he changes it, she still ends up dying. Mm-hmm. And whether it's uh, a car accident, uh, she's murdered, hey, like a guy shooting her. And uh, I think Strange there's one where she like gets poisoned or something. Yeah. It's pretty freaking dark and strange tries to change it falls on her. Yeah. It's just Uh, like, she just dies like every time. And you learn that her death has to happen in this uh, version of the story. And with strange, uh, what did they call it? Corinne? It's like a, 
like a fixed point yeah or fixed something point like something that where it has to happen no matter what you do she's going to die so uh strange decides he's gonna do all the magic he can and absorb it all to stop it from happening at nexus point and uh he for centuries stays in this library of spells and learns the spell and kind of absorb other beings and basically yeah. absorb their power so that he has the ability to break the nexus point and to save her yeah and, and in doing so he ends up basically like collapsing the entire timeline or universe or whatever and well, yeah, she he dies the, yeah he ends the world uh it, it's uh it was a pretty heavy episode oh also and, has to fight himself yeah uh that yeah cool. i i i, it, I think it's probably the strongest episode so far um just because what it dealt with and um yeah i i liked it yeah i it's think good. uh dr strange like the movie was a little underwhelming considering like dr strange is one of the most like powerful, most, you know, unique characters in the Marvel universe. And you can do like a ton with his story. And when you saw the movie, it was just mostly like people doing the little sling rings and like, I mean, yeah, the mirror dimension's cool, but it's just pretty generic, I think, for what they could have done. But this, it's like, we got to see like everything that, or at least more of what Doctor Strange is capable of and seeing more of that universe and it's it was really cool. I liked it. Yeah. Also, I made the joke on social media. I'm like, he's yelling Christine so much, he might as well be the Phantom of the Opera. I mean, he's got a cool cape. <laughs> Anybody? No? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Phantom of the Opera. Good stuff. I got it. It was funny. <laughs> but yeah, I'm interested. This, this week's episode is the Marvel Zombies, so I'm interested. Um. Oh my god, Marvel you killed zombies? zombie Thanos. <laughs> He's a zombie? Yeah. There's uh they did this multiverse where uh the Fantastic Four go to a dimension where there's a zombie plague and all the superheroes, a lot of them become zombies. Um it's really interesting. Uh the covers were great. There's uh all uh what's his name? Uh Arthur send them something like that he would take iconic marvel covers and zombify them so they looked really cool and they're all painted if you uh do a google search if you do marvel zombie covers uh they're pretty great um yeah should be fun Hmm. that's what we watched this week this week we returned to the theaters to see sean chi brad do you recommend the Legend of the Ten Rings. Oh man, I have to go first. Um, yeah, it, it's fine. It didn't. I wasn't blown away by it. Um, it has some funny stuff in it, and the actual physical hand-to-hand fights are pretty impressive. But it's it's mired in a lot of CGI, and it very much feels like a movie that is shot under COVID protocols. Um. And when I look at a movie like Black Panther that felt very transcendent, uh, this one just felt like early, like Captain America, First Avenger and Thor to me. So, um, yeah, it's it's not bad. It's just I, you know, we live in an age post 
Avengers Endgame. So I'm just kind of waiting for Marvel to wow me, and it hasn't quite done that yet. So definitely a win for representation, but um, just doesn't reach the heights of something like Black Panther to me. So, Grand. Yeah, I actually saw it twice this weekend. Uh, I liked it both times. I think it has rewatch value. And uh, I, I, I liked it more than Brad, apparently. I wouldn't say it's like Black Panther level, but it's definitely approaching it. Um, I think something I was telling my friends earlier when they were saying like, oh, you know, should I go see it? Is it any good? And I said, I think Marvel has just, has figured out that they don't have to have a joke every five minutes for you or every five seconds for you to stay invested. And especially in the third act, I I really felt like, you know, they could let the emotional, really like heavy moments land. And we didn't have to like undercut everything with a joke. Like, yeah, there are like two jokes in the last, like, you know, this 15 minute, like, you know, grand battle or whatever. And yeah, the fight scenes are all really impressive. Um, there's like an opening bit that I was immediately hooked and I was like, okay, I want to see the rest of this story. <laughs> um, I think the music is, um, nobody's talked about that a lot, but the music is fantastic and I'll get into it more once we get it at, um, into spoilers. But, um, I really like these, these characters. I like this section of the universe and getting to know more about it. There are a couple of gripes I have, um, but they're relatively minor. And it's overall, I think, a really strong movie and a really good origin story for a hero we haven't seen yet. Zach? Of the two MCU films we have gotten this year, this is the best one. Uh, Yes, you should go see this movie. Uh, I really fucking like this movie a lot. Um, I... I I love what Corinne said about not needing a joke every five minutes because this film allows its own legend to grow and breathe. Um, I did not watch a trailer going into this movie, so that might have helped with my ability to just be wowed over by it. Um, There are several sequences in this movie that blew my hair back, regardless of CGI being involved or not, because of the way they're handling camera work, but also there we'll talk about it after the trailer, but Simo Lu and um, Aquafina are so damn good in this movie that their chemistry kicks off the movie in a way that I think is essential to getting to love these characters pretty quick and following them through the end of the journey. Um, I only have one real gripe with the movie, but it's not enough for me to not give it a five-star review. Um, I really like this movie a lot. And it's one of those MCU films that I watch where I'm like, this could easily make my top 10 by the end of the year. So long as like, there's nothing else that can really squeeze it out. So yeah, I do recommend people go check out Shang-Chi. Yeah, no, I love this movie. I just had a lot of fun watching it and Corinne's right. The music in it is really great. Um, I really got into the music in one of the first fight scenes um, when he's on the bus. I thought it was just groovy. Uh, Yeah, definitely go see it. Uh, I mean, with Marvel movies, you're probably already invested in the universe. So see it to continue the journey through the MCU. Here's a trailer for Shang-Chi and the legend of the 10 rings. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you 
you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. You are a product of all who came before you. The legacy of your family. You are your mother. And whether you like it or not, you are also your father. I told my men they wouldn't be able to kill you if they tried. Glad I was right. You're just a criminal who murders people. Be careful how you speak to me, boy. So yeah, this is uh, the origin story of uh, Sean, or Shang-Chi, how he changed his name. Uh, really funny moment in the film. Uh, yeah, it's about a, a guy who was trained to basically be an assassin after his mom died, because uh, his dad is the real Mandarin, which has a, uh, another funny moment where he says, they named me after a food, <laughs> and uh just good stuff and yeah so he escapes to san francisco while he's there he meets his friend katie and they are a valet at uh, a hotel and one day he's sitting on a bus and this guy asks for his pendant that he got from his mom and then you learn that he's a really badass fighter martial artist guy in a really cool fight scene on a bus and then the rest of the movie is you discovering what he was in a past life, uh, looking for his sister and um, reconnecting with his mom's village. Yep. Uh, yeah. So it's basically a journey back uh, for him to see his family. And there is some interesting twists along the way where you expect uh, a, a horrible villain to maybe be redeemed but he can't be redeemed because he's a bad guy and um, he's blinded by possibly finding his uh, the love of his life who died because of the mistakes he made. And uh, yeah, and it's just a really uh, very awesome movie. And I didn't know I wanted to see Trevor Slattery again. And there he was. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that was one st- of the parts of the movie I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really like it just felt really shoehorned in and awkward. Like I, I obviously love Ben Kingsley, but like either he should have just been like at the compound and they didn't take it with them or something. I don't know. It was just a little weird. 
Well, uh, so I was a little perturbed by it as well, Corinne, but I guess in a world where you did a version of the Mandarin, which I, I say Iron Man three had a wonderful hook on how to handle that. But if you're going to clarify it in a world where Shang-Chi exists, it's almost like you, it's, it's kind of necessary to throw in that and, and kind of like clear the air on that particular issue. I don't know, but was, was his father basically alluding to the fact that he's actually the Mandarin? Oh, he is a Mandarin. He, oh, he is. Okay. I thought they were just alluding to like, he was at one point or whatever. I, I, I wasn't perfectly clear on that. They they changed the, sorry, Brad, go ahead. Well, I'm confused. Cause yeah. In in Iron Man three, I'm pretty sure Guy Pierce said he was the Mandarin. No, no. So they uh, stole his identity to basically become a terrorist organization. Yeah. Uh, you, do you guys, you've seen the MCU one shot with him, right? Yes. All hail the King. Yeah. yeah. So he's taken by the real Mandarin at the end of it. Um, and yeah, it's because it, it, in the comics, the Mandarin, the 10 rings are on his fingers. And in this, they kind of uh, made them different. Uh, They're like bracelets. Yeah. Uh, which I thought they did a really cool job of, you know, uh, they would throw them and uh, Shang-Chi would run across them mm-hmm. and or he'd use know, them like Iron use Man them to, like, and... propel, propel himself off the ground. Yeah, it's, I thought it was really cool. Like, j- I, I thought the whole thought out fight scenes were really well done. Yeah, the one on the bus I liked. The one on the uh, like scaffolding, like I'm afraid of heights, so I was like, <laughs> but the part where he's fighting the death dealer whatever the guy with the mask um like that one was just so well done because like they're moving so fast and you're just like holy crap like it's really impressive uh like just all the fight scenes were really impressive and my favorite one is like at the very beginning when the dad meets the mom and they're fighting in like that clearing area next to the oh, yeah. entrance to talo and i was like oh my gosh this feels like right out of a chinese fantasy film yeah there was um there was a part of the 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 opening uh not the opening prologue but watching Sean uh and Katie out in the real world before the bus attack I loved that setup. I fucking love that setup. It gets me into loving those characters right from the get-go. I I just thought it was a wonderful way to like introduce these characters be like, "Oh, it's just it's two 20 to 30-year-old slackers." <laughs> hanging out around town and then all of a sudden one of them has enough powers on a bus to defeat an entire army what's the deal with that and it just was able to kind of transport me into that world with a nice little bit of like i guess relatability or at the very least it kind of just felt like it felt a little bit more down to earth to get it like to get us kicked off into it because once we enter the forest things go into I I was not expecting this to be a world of like magical creatures and like cool looking lion beasts and little little creatures that have no face and only a butt. Like it just it was all kinds of magical guys. <laughs> like and and that climax with the dragon had some wonderful shit going on to it, but uh that bus scene is one of the best action sequences I've seen out of a Marvel movie in a long time. That doesn't involve like endgame proportion activity. 
Um, yeah, I know I read an article that they they said that a lot of the fight scenes were inspired by Jackie Chan movies. And mm-hmm. that one specifically felt very much like a Jackie Chan one, especially the moment where he's like using his jacket to like, mm-hmm. you know, fight yeah. them. And then the moment where he sits down next to the lady and he kind of waves at her like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it genuinely shows in that in that regard. And it was it's just a fun ride. Like, I mean, it's kind of like how Ryan kind of points to a lot of these films when he talks about them is sometimes you just want to have fun. And I appreciated that this was fun. Take taken very austerely, but also not knowing, knowing when to not get too up its own, up its own mythology and just embrace the fact that you are introducing this new world to people. Like this is one of the better origin story movies I've seen come out in a while as well. Um, I just appreciated that th- I had never heard of Shang-Chi in the Marvel universe until this movie was announced. And so going in blank, I feel like was the best possible way I could get introduced to this and not have any expectations up my sleeve. Um, and Simo Liu is fantastic in it. Uh, I love seeing Benedict Wong running around. Uh, that was fantastic as well. Um, and, um, Zhuzhaling, um, his sister, I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, I was, I was curious what her end credit teaser meant, but her character arc overall is pretty damn wonderful as well. And the fact that she started this entire fight club <laughs> after she ran away from her dad, I'm like, that's fucking cool. Right on. <laughs> Didn't think you'd go this far. Um, and, um, uh, and yeah, the the Trevor Slattery thing is fine. Um, I don't like hate it. Um, I I I wish there was a better way to have introduced him into it because it did feel a little bit out of left field. Except for the fact that his father clearly does stay upfront about the man. They, they he gives the whole Mandarin speech, so I guess it's fine. It just I think it just took me aback when I first saw it. So I'm just not. I, I've let it pass me at this point. Um, but yeah, R- Ryan, do you know much about Shang-Chi and what that, what that end credit sequence ends up meaning? Uh, which one? I'm sorry. The second one, the one after everything where, uh, the one the where sister- his sister takes over the 10 rings. Uh, I, as far as comic goes, I don't know. I, I think it might be a later comic. Um, I'm only, I only know of Shang-Chi. I don't, uh, really read his comics he would pop up in spider-man and marvel team up every once in a while so that's my only really exposure to him i'm pretty sure his only superpower is though is he's the best kung fu guy in the world <laughs> like, uh, so he doesn't even have the 10 rings in the comics no um yeah because he's they have a, a a mature magazine that they did like uh vampire tells but they call it the deadly uh deadly hands of kung fu deadly hands deadly hands uh, give me a second i can i can't remember it right now um but yeah i i never really read his stuff i mean i'm interested now Mm -hmm. um i just wonder if his sister like what's her deal like is she gonna become a villain and kind of take up where her father left off or is she gonna kind of do her own thing or is she gonna use the ten rings for good yeah, so he, used, he was in a magazine called The Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. And yeah, his his one power 
was really he was really great at uh his subtitle is master of kung fu uh and it's he's actually really an early marvel character he's 1973 um so yeah i know that they uh Leading up to the movie, there was a lot of press going around about how the origins of Shang-Chi was like kind of racist and that that was something that in developing the movie, they had to kind of work around that and like do their own thing and be respectful to the culture and everything like that. So, I mean, admittedly, I'm a white person, but I thought they did a good job. It it felt very rich and textured. Yeah, I I mean, I think that was important for the uh, actors in it. I mean, he's made a pretty big, uh, they made a pretty big deal of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Looking at a early cover for Master of Kung Fu, yeah, it's, they had some work to do to kind of move past the whole him being son of Fu Manchu deal here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, I, you know, I can't speak to, like, in that similar boat that Corinne is, like, I don't know how, to i i don't know exactly how to judge like if it's absolutely hitting the mark the way it needs to but like i never felt a sense of disrespect necessarily um i what what entranced me about the film is that a lot of things in my brain where my mind goes to those places kind of shut off because i was just entranced by those characters and the actors portraying them that i was just like i'm just in the world right now i'm not even thinking about that particular angle until I walked out of the theater and realized, Oh my God, this is like one of the first eight all Asian led comic book movies ever made. This is fantastic. Um, so I, I guess like one of the film's strengths is that it does allow me to escape in the same way that most MCU films do. And that there wasn't an overwhelming burden within that spectrum. It's similar to black Panther, like black Panther. I felt the power, but that's because the the themes of that movie are tying directly into that. And I think Shang-Chi is not really going for the same territory as Black Panther. I think it's going for a different angle and I think it succeeds at it, which is building a mythology that is relatively unknown to people within Marvel, within, within outside of Marvel, Marvel fandom. Cause people can, will know who Black Panther is, but I don't think they know right off the bat who Shang-Chi is. And honestly, it felt similar to when I first saw Iron Man. I did not know much about Iron Man going into the first Iron Man. So my expectations were at a nominal level to where I just opened myself up to the, what the movie gave to me. And Shang-Chi does the same thing for me. Hey, Brad, uh, you've been quiet. You weren't as big a fan. Um, explain. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the biggest thing for me was I, I just wasn't into the story itself. Like, you know, this crime boss who uh, falls for this mystical woman who also falls for him back and like she dies off screen and um, he resorts to his old ways and his children are separated from him and like them being dragged back to him. I don't know. It just wasn't like, oh, this didn't do much for me. Um and then a lot of the fantasy elements were very arbitrary. There's a lot of times that they're like, oh, okay, well, there's this thing. I doesn't ex- I guess it doesn't need to be explained. Uh, I can just roll with it. And then um, um, 
there's a lot of just uh, scenes of exposition. Um, a lot of characters just passively learning things instead of discovering anything. I thought. Um, and then the end in the first post credit sequence. Why is Banner back to being human? I thought he was uh, permanently blended with the Hulk. Yeah, I wondered that too. Um, that was confusing. Um, and then that scene really didn't like. You know, I'm, I guess I'm still waiting for like how does this fit into the larger picture. And I don't feel like this movie did that. I mean, it doesn't have to, but you know, my appetite for the MCU is like, I'm waiting to figure out like what all this is like, what's, what are we driving towards? Cause like I said, this just feels like, you know, this could have come out in two, 2011 with Thor and Captain America and it had a similar impact. Um, so, you know, it's not bad. It's like, there's a lot of fun parts. Like I love this, the Trevor Slattery, return um i'll yeah some like some of the fantasy like creatures were great um wasn't too convinced with the evolving forest thing but um and yeah like uh you know that that scaffolding uh fight sequence is cool but it's also like i remember that from rush hour two and they did it without cgi i guess for the most part uh, i can't i it's 2001 i doubt they're using any really but um yeah like it, yeah it's it's not terrible it's just like i i guess i'm just i'm trying to not expect more while expecting more so well i think that's always going to be a problem with marvel movies until they until we get the bigger picture because endgame is i mean it's the real nerd's favorite film out of our 500 episodes and it's the bar is so high that there's going to be a reset. And so now we have to kind of temper our expectations in that regard. Yeah. Because I mean, all the big characters besides really Spider-Man and Captain Marvel and stuff are gone. So, I mean, it seems like now there's uh the new Avengers might be Captain Marvel and Hulk kind of being the, you know, the leaders, which I'm totally down with. And um, and maybe Spider-Man too, uh, because it, yeah, it, it's tough, but I mean, I, I'm able to, uh, differentiate the two and I understand that now it's a new beginning. So, yeah, that was my question after, uh, end game was like, okay, is Marvel going to build up the next iteration like they did 10 years ago, or they have a plan with like, a, no, we have the next way to do this already planned out. And it feels like they're just going back and doing it again rather than like here's how to build beyond that so you know it's still early and i'm i'm trying to temper my expectations but yeah honestly i did leave thinking like okay well that was an average marvel movie to me so yeah i I think uh but maybe it'll seem better when the rest of them are added you know yeah eternals is seems out of place for me um is the coming up films but again, I mean, we have to be introduced to them. And I remember seeing trailers for the uh, for Guardians of the Galaxy. And I go, man, how are they going to pull this off? <laughs> and uh, But I think Eternals will be interesting. The pedigree behind Eternals is incredible. And I think the movie, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Spider-Man fan, but I think the type of movie that is the grandiose Marvel movie is going to be uh, No Way Home. Yeah. And I mean, it's racked up 
the most views in 24 hours of any movie in the history of, I guess, the internet. Uh, so, I, if I mean, I'm kind of in Ryan's boat where I've had to reset the brain, um, with the exception of the TV shows because they deal directly with characters from the previous iteration. So it, and black widow didn't really have the baggage because it's dealing with a character that's no longer with us. So I've kind of just wiped the slate clean for myself and gone, okay, you have this back knowledge in your pocket, but let's see where this one goes. Like ride, ride it with confidence the same way you rode Iron Man, Thor and Captain America and uh, incredible Hulk and just, see where the adventure takes you this time also what's going on with abomination because you know even though i don't really consider incredible hulk like part of the mcu um his like he left that movie a criminal under lock and key and now he's just hanging out with wong and like they're just doing um you know rigged fights i guess yeah maybe wong's breaking him out just to give him some exercise like I, I was hoping there'd be some backstory like, okay, well he turned a corner and he's helping out, you know, the good guys now, but it's the, there's really no explanation. He's just like, Hey, we're buddies and we're going off to do this other thing. And it's just, a, it's like a cameo thing. Yeah. I didn't even yeah. know who it was the first time I had to, somebody on the internet had to explain it to me. Yeah. Even like the visual difference, like, okay, I, you know, I'm fine with, they changed his look between them. Like maybe he mutated, in 10 years or something but yeah there's like no i was really disappointed there was no explanation of like hey this is abomination and here's what happened after 10 years of this character but no he's just hanging out with wong so i guess we'll the, find uh, out the next one the character design in shang chi is closer to the comic books um yeah i get that uh but yeah no i i, I think i mean obviously we don't know because they don't really explain it but Corinne's probably right. He's probably just is able to get out and he fixes fight with fights with Wong and you know Wong is able to send him back if he does anything. Yeah, if you look whenever line. he does the sling ring it does look like there's some kind of holding cell or prison or something on the other side. So presumably he's still in some kind of custody, but I don't know. It's yeah, fun. That's one another motivation of like, well, I need to break that guy out of prison or like recruit him from prison uh, to do street fights. <laughs> it just seems like, so uh, like, I just want to know more of the backstory of like why that's important. Think well, maybe they'll those bring back in, uh... the Marvel one shot and we'll learn. <laughs> yeah, like why wouldn't Wong just team up with the Hulk, which I guess maybe he can't because he's a human again. I don't know. We've yeah, still got almost... plenty of movies to go. So yeah, it almost just felt like, they wrote that scene and they just said, we're just going to have some cameos here and then we'll figure out later who it is. And then they just figure, uh, you know, almost just like a little roulette wheel of like, okay, we're going to have Wong versus uh, Abomination. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what it felt like. Yep. <laughs> just like, what can we give fans to see that might like just stoke their interest for five minutes? So, yeah. Cool. Uh, next week on Real Nerds, we'll be doing Film Explosion 2001. So make sure you send those lists to us and we'll share them on the show. I'm still missing um, three. All right. I'll get it to you tonight. Jesus. 
Thanks. Uh, yeah. I'm just kidding. Don't even I gotta make a Blu-ray. So. Was. You have mine, right, Brad? Yep. I got everyone but Zach, James, and Henry's. So is James participating in this one? Who knows? I don't know. All right. I'm gonna All assume right. he is until Friday, and if I don't have his list, then he's out of luck. There you go. Yep. We'll just do it that way. And maybe Zach uh, Bynes will be on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Bringing back on Zach Bynes. And be hopefully sure to... Carol sends in a list. And the rest of the heart crew. Yep. Yep. Maybe my nephew will send in a list. No, he won't. He can't write that way. He's only three. Well, just put a bunch of movies from 2001 out on the floor and have him grab one. And his, <laughs> choice. his number one is Mulholland Drive. Holy shit, Mattis. What the hell? <laughs> that would I be just, an interesting experiment, though. I, I just didn't think I, out of all the movies from 2001, you could have picked A Beautiful Mind. Really? You just made the same choice they made 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah. See, he could be on in the Academy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then Kellen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day. <laughs>